Good morning, church at West Gant. If I haven't met you, my name is Wes, and it is an um, absolute joy and honor and privilege for me to be standing up here in front of you guys this morning. As I was coming into church this morning, Donnie saw me. I was carrying this 50-pound bag or, or jar of coins, and I almost lost my breath carrying it the 100 yards from the Welcome Center to the sanctuary because I'm out of shape. But as I was walking, I came down the hallway and I saw all of the pictures of the previous pastors who have stood on this stage and I had a profound word straight from the possum George Jones and I thought to myself, who is going to fill their shoes? And I know that that's not me and that's not my, my aim or my goal this morning to fill their shoes. But like Moses, I do recognize that this ground that I stand on this morning is holy ground, and it is literally a, a joy and a privilege and an honor for me to be standing here in this space before you guys this morning, so thank you for that. I know that um, Marshall left some big shoes, and, and Chris and Antonio, and I'm only standing up here in size nines, so I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, but it is an absolute joy and honor and privilege for me to be standing here this morning. If you do have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 6. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on the first four verses out of Matthew chapter 6. Now, as you all know, uh, we have been in the greatest sermon ever told, spoken by the greatest preacher who ever lived, and that man's name is Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to be continuing in chapter 6, so you can find your way there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Now, in chapter 6, just so you guys know, we are in a little bit of a transition in this sermon. Now, what I mean by that is, in the first chapter, or the fifth chapter, which is the first part of the sermon, we go over what are called the Beatitudes, and we spend a lot of time talking about this, but just to recap, um, in, in chapter 5, God basically says that I want to do something in you, and then I want to do something through you. So we talked about the Beatitudes and all of the blessed statements. Chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues to go on with a couple more blessed statements that are the Beatitudes. So after that, you know, the whole idea of, of that opening is that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes you and it makes you poor in spirit. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes you mourn over your sin and it makes you want to be pure in heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes you want to be hungry, and it makes you want to have a thirst for righteousness, and it makes you want to be a merciful person. 
So when you receive the gospel, it changes you. So right, around, right after all of that, it talks about how we must be salt and light. And Chris did a fantastic job going over this with us. He went into the historical context and, and what, what it means to be salt and light in a lost and dying world. It encourages us, encourages us to be outward focused, right, instead of inward focused. And it reminds us that we are supposed to care about other people. And it is our job to bring that gospel that we know and love to them. So God not only wants to do something in us, he wants to do something through us. God wants to do something in us, and he wants to do something through us. God wants to do something in us, but he also wants to do something through us. And then Jesus talks about the law. This is what we went over most recently. He began to speak about lust and adultery and then he talks about murder and how it's really anger that's in our hearts. He said, you have heard it said by those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of that judgment. Then he also says a few other things. Um, you have heard it said by those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he, he says several other things that, that, that are in line with those, those statements regarding the law. He reminds us that we are called to love our enemies. And then he deepens and develops and expands and, and enhances the law and our understanding of it. So that brings us all the way to chapter six, where we're gonna be spending our time this morning. And chapter six is a bit unique, so I'm going to give you the big idea for the sermon first thing this morning. So you can pay attention now, and then you can take a nap, and in about 20 minutes, we'll go home. But before I do that, I do want to be upfront and honest with you all and tell you that the sermon this morning is going to be about giving. So I was teasing Chris and telling him that he had kind of set me up for this and he had given me the hard one because giving messages aren't always very fun nor are they very easy. So before we get into chapter six, I will say I know that my wife has single-handedly provided this entire church with a lifetime supply of eggs. So if any of you happen to have those eggs with you this morning, I would kindly ask that you refrain from th throwing those at me until we're in the parking lot so that we don't have to pay our cleaning staff to do any extra cleaning of the carpet this week. But in chapter six, Jesus is going to move from the law of God, which we talked about in chapter five, to religious activities. And he's going to start talking about the religious activities of giving and praying and fasting. But this morning, we're only gonna be looking at the giving piece. So before we go any further, I do wanna pray. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we invite you. God, before anything else is, is said or done this morning, my prayer is that you would increase and I would decrease. Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way 
It's, it's not about me, God. It's not about the words that I have to say. It's not about this church. It's not about these people, God, but it's literally all about you. And I pray that for the next 20 or 30 minutes or, or however long we are gathered here together this morning, God, I just pray that everything else would come secondary to you. And God, I pray that we would worship an audience of one, and that would be you. God, I do pray that your spirit would, would fill this place. As we've already prayed this morning, God, I pray that um, we would just walk out of here a little bit better than we walked in, simply because we have gathered here together in your name. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all the honor and glory, and it's in your name we pray, amen. So back to the big idea that I promised you first thing this morning. The big idea for us is that people in general, now not just us, but people in general, are so sinful and so messed up and so jacked up that it shows up even when we try to be spiritual. Can y'all believe that? That people in general, not just us, are so sinful and so messed up and so jacked up that it shows up even when we try to be spiritual. Now, that's the big idea, so again, refrain from throwing eggs, please, because I said it's not just us, it's everyone. We are so sinful, and we are so selfish, and we are so self-centered that somehow, some way, we have the ability to make these spiritual activities about us. Somehow, some way, we're able to make prayer about us. God, I need this. God, I would love it if you do this. God, please do that. God, this is, this is me coming to you right now. It's not about bringing honor or glory to you. It's about what I want and what I need. We make prayer about us. Somehow we're able to make giving about us, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And somehow, some way, we're able to make fasting about us. Now, we aren't going to get into that this morning. We're only going to be talking about the giving. So Jesus is going to take these ideas that I just mentioned, and he's going to begin to show us how messed up we can actually be. So let's look at chapter 6 and see what Jesus has to say. So in chapter 6, my translation says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. For otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they already have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now that's written and read out of the uh, New King James Version, but I'm sure there are multiple translations floating around the, the sanctuary this morning. So I did a little bit of research and I did a little bit of comparison, and this take heed part is, is where I want to start. In verse number one, Jesus is literally warning us, take heed, notice this, pay attention. 
I know that it's hard to believe, and I know that it can be a little bit of a stretch, but did you know that if somebody warns you, it actually means they love you? If people are willing to call out blind spots and identify shortcomings and will tell you how to be a better version of you, then that person truly loves you. People that love you will always speak the truth to you, and sometimes speaking or receiving, the truth isn't always easy. But if that person is willing to do that for you, you can rest assured that they really do care about you. So what you need to take away from that is Jesus really does love you, and he really does care about you, and that's why he is warning you right out of the gate in the first verse. In the very first verse, Jesus tells us to take heed. In the very first verse, Jesus tells us, beware. In the very first verse, Jesus tells us, be careful. Beware, be alert, be careful, watch out. However you want to interpret that, beware. He tells us to watch out for the times when we practice our righteousness. Now, I'm sure all of you guys are much smarter than what I am, and I'm sure that you all have a very good handle and understanding on what righteousness is. You guys have, have been in church probably longer than I've been alive. But for the sake of what we're talking about this morning, righteousness from the root word is simply doing right things. That is literally what righteousness is. Righteousness is doing right things. So he says to beware, to be cautious, to watch out for doing these right things before people, right? And then he gives us a reason why. He says, do not do these things in order to be seen by them. That makes sense. That's pretty clear, correct? Because if we do these things in this way, then it says clearly, we will have no reward from our Father who is in heaven. But at the same time, that can be a little bit confusing. Because in, my, in, in, in chapter 5, didn't Jesus tell us the exact opposite? If you go back and read, starting in verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, For you are the light of the world... A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they put a light or a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put that lamp or the light or lampstand on a hill so that it can be seen by everyone. So, so which one is it? Do we do these righteous things in front of everybody like a lamp up on a lampstand, or do we do them in private so that they can't be seen? I'm going to be honest, and that confused me a little bit as I was preparing for this, this sermon, because in, in chapter 5, Jesus is telling us that we are supposed to shine our light, but now one chapter later, I barely even had to turn the page in my Bible. I, I literally flipped the page. One page later, after Jesus tells us to shine our light, he tells us we're not supposed to practice our good, good deeds in front of people. So it's like, well, which is it? It's, it's a little confusing. How do these things work together? So I had to do a little bit of research. I had to gain a little bit of clarity in this. And I love what Pastor Kyle Mercer 
has to say about this controversy that literally takes place within the flip of a page. According to Pastor Kyle Mercer, in the first one, in chapter five, where he's talking about shining your light and all of those things, he's talking about confidence. So chapter five is about confidence in your salvation and who you are in Christ Jesus. If you are saved and you are in Christ Jesus, then you need to be proud of that. You need to be confident of that. You need to demonstrate that for everyone to see. Your life needs to to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, and they need to be able to see that you are truly his and that you do truly follow him. That's what chapter 5 is about. In chapter 6, where he's saying to hide your righteous deeds from others, he's talking about pride. And that really clarified it for me. There is a huge, huge monumental difference in confidence and pride. So what this means for us is that in our Christian walk, now listen, in our Christian walk, sometimes we have to expose things that we don't want to expose. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we're going to have to hide things that we want to share. When tempted to expose something, it's often best to hide it. And when tempted to hide something, it's often best to expose it. So Jesus is telling us that he wants us to hide our good deeds, right? He told us that. He wants us to hide our good deeds, but then he wants us to expose our sins. That would be the clearest way that I can put this for you this morning. Hide your good deeds and expose your sins. But unfortunately, all too, op- all too often, we do the exact opposite. We spend the bulk majority of our time, even as Christians, trying to hide our sins and expose our good deeds. We try and do the exact opposite of what Scripture tells us to do. Do you think that's maybe why some of us are so tired? Because we're trying to hide all of our sins and we're trying to expose all of our good deeds and we're trying to go completely against the grain or the flow of Scripture? Could that be why we're so tired? We hide our sins from ourselves and we call them things that they're not. We act like we don't have any struggles with sin. We try and forget about the times that we do sin. We try and hide our sins. And then we try and expose our good deeds. Now, I'm not on social media, but is, is anybody on social media in here? Quick raise of hands. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever else. So you guys should have an understanding of this. Um, but YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all of those different social media avenues are filled with people exposing their good deeds. There's a hashtag that goes around called hashtag do it for the gram, do it for Instagram. And what hashtag do it for the gram is, is it's basically literally people who will pick up a video camera or a cell phone camera or or whatever the case may be, and then they will record themselves going through a drive-through to buy homeless or, or to buy food for a homeless person, and then they will film themselves giving that food to the person. Hashtag do it for the gram. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're not doing it for 
their kindness or they're not doing it for their generosity or anything like that. They're literally doing it for likes or little red hearts or whatever on social media. It's, it's, it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. But that's, that's the generation I live in. That's the generation I'm growing up in. Hashtag do it for the gram. But back to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, and in the time when Matthew chapter 6 was written, the Jews basically had three religious activities that they would participate in. And as, as we have identified, or as you may know, those religious activities that they would practice were praying, giving, and fasting. That's, that's what they did, and not for the gram. That's just what they did. This morning, we're talking about the giving piece. So in those times, the Jewish people would get together, and they would literally do this right here. They would gather together, which is what we're doing. They would pray, which we have done. They would fast. I don't think any of us have fasted this morning. And they would give. But Jesus warned them, beware, be alert, be cautious, take heed, watch out. Jesus warned them about how they were to do those things. And a phrase is, as you continue to read the Sermon on the Mount that you're going to keep seeing pop up over and over and over and over and over again is hypocrite or hypocrisy. I also learned this while I was studying and preparing for this message. So hypocrite or hypocrisy has several different definitions, but the one that stood out to me the most was one who wears masks. Hypocrisy, or being a hypocrite, literally means someone who wears masks. So in those times, it was literally based on the idea of, of plays. So in, in Greece, they would have these, these plays, and they weren't anywhere near as advanced as what they are today, because in Greek plays, there was often one actor or one actress. And that one actor or one actress would be the only person in the entire play. So what they would do, they would put on a mask, they would put on uh, a costume, they would put on some sort of disguise, they would go act out a scene, and then they would run behind a curtain or a closed door, they would put on a new mask, a new disguise, a new outfit, and then they would do a whole nother scene as a whole nother person. And the point was, you never saw their true face. Now that's actually a really, really deep idea, if you'll let that set in. The people who were listening to Jesus preach this sermon, they understood that clearly. So when you're a hypocrite, no one knows who you really are, including you. Beware, be alert, be cautious, watch out. Don't have multiple masks. Don't have multiple faces. Don't have multiple lives. The question is, are you the same person at work as you are at church? Are you the same person at home as you are at church? 
Are you the same person anywhere and everywhere else as you are in church? Or are there multiple versions of who you are? If so, be aware, be alert, watch out. This, this next part truly breaks my heart because I'm sure you guys know that there is a ton of critique of the Christian church. We as a church get criticized every day, every hour. The Christian church is criticized. And to the world and from the world, the biggest critique of the Christian church is that the, the, the Christian church is filled with hypocrites. The Christian church is filled with hypocrisy. Why is that? Why is the Christian church critiqued because people say that it is filled with hypocrites and hypocrisy? Could it be that they're right? Could it be that they're on to something? Could it be that the church truly is filled with hypocrites who have different versions of themselves at church and at work and at home and everywhere else? Could they be right? Beware, be alert. Watch out. Jesus wants us to be very cautious of these things, and he's going to help us avoid these issues by helping us examine our motives. Now, only two people in this world truly know what your motives are, and those two people are, guess who? You and Jesus. So Jesus tells us that there are three reasons why we do what we do, and all of these come out of the text. The first reason we do what we do is so that we please other people and other people think that we are great. We do what we do to please other people and make them think that we're great. We do what we do so that we will think that we are great. Or we do what we do so that God will think we are great. And he already does because, let's face it, you guys are great. But this is why Jesus keeps talking about honoring the Father, and living and doing things in secret that bring honor and glory onto him. So let's look at verse 2. So in verse 2, it says, therefore, when you give. So let's stop there for a minute. Now, many, many, many years ago when I used to lead a youth group, uh, just to clarify, I'm not a youth guy, but there was a point in time I led a youth group. I told Chris that a perfect or ideal lock-in for me would start at about 6 p.m. and be over by 10 p.m. Give them four hours, give them some pizza, they'll be fine. I'm not a youth guy. But many, many years ago when I did lead a youth group, they would get so frustrated with me because I would purposefully have them read the text out loud so that I could stop them. So I want you to see this. In verse number two, it says, therefore, when. So Jesus is assuming that everybody is already giving. He's not saying if you give. No, he says when. He is clearly saying when you give. So when it comes to these spiritual activities and these spiritual disciplines and these spiritual um, activities, when, he's, when, it, when it comes to praying and when it comes to fasting and when it comes to giving, for a Christian... It's never if, but it's always when. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, it's always when, not if. So when you give, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets 
that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they already have their reward. So Jesus is saying that oftentimes people will give, and it's so that other people will see them and think that they are great. When I was studying through you know, this passage and, and just thinking about real-time, real-life you know, application, one point that I read was that that is literally how 90% of college campuses are built. People will give tremendous amounts of money, and then they'll put their name on the top. So Jesus is telling us that oftentimes the reason people give is, that people, is so that people will see them and think that they are great. And then what does he say? He says, truly, I say to you, they've got their reward. That big monstrous building with their name up on top, they've got their reward. In Greek, the term receive their reward means to be paid in full, meaning there is nothing left for them to get. Now, I did some research on verse 3, and it says, but when you give, do not, uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, so, excuse me, I jumped ahead of myself. So, so back to this idea of, of sounding a trumpet. Now, I did some, some research on this too, and uh, what I found was really a couple of different ideas or concepts or understanding of this phrase. So when it says sounding a trumpet, some say that Jesus was being somewhat sarcastic. Now, I understand that, that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And I believe that Jesus had a personality, and I believe that Jesus had a sense of humor even. So this doesn't really have anything to do with the message, but I just think it's funny. So if you read in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27, this is just kind of validate or confirm the idea that Jesus did have a personality and a sense of humor. So in, in Matthew 21, verses 23 through uh, 27, it says, now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, well, I'll also ask you one thing. So you ask me a question, I'll ask you a question. And if you tell me, likewise, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And he says, the baptism of John, where was it from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? And they, they gather around themselves and they, they pull a holy huddle together and they reasoned amongst themselves saying, well, if we say that it's from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe me? But if we say it's from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So this is, this is where it gets funny. In verse 27, so they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said to them, all right, fine then I'm not going to answer your question. You can't answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. Again, that really has nothing to do with the sermon, but it, it just kind of proves that Jesus had a sense of humor or a personality, at least in my mind. So some say that Jesus was being somewhat sarcastic or silly or funny when he said, oh, sound the trumpet. Now some people believe that young boys would literally blow into a horn or trumpet when leaders and scribes and Pharisees would give. So what that would look like would be 
you know, we've got these offering plates here. We've got an offering plate there. We've got a giving box over here. What that would look like is literally parking Gavin right here by the giving box or Gavin right here in front of the, the offering plates and having him just play the trumpet or blow a horn. Every time somebody comes up here to give, you know, it, it would probably look something like this. So I'm here this morning, Gavin's here this morning, and I'm giving. I'm large and in charge. I'm putting my money in the box. I want y'all to see me do it. Some people think that's what would, would happen. Or some say that Jesus was referencing a trumpet or a horn-shaped chest that would symbolize the tribes of Israel. Now, what you need to know about these, these horns or these chests were they were constructed of heavy metal. So they were these big, massive um, boxes or, or chests that were, that were made out of metal, and they had little bitty openings at the top, and then they were kind of flared at the bottom. So when the leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees would give, they would purposefully slam their money into that chest. Because remember, at that time, there was no cryptocurrency. There was no digital currency. There was no paper money. Everything that they would give would be in the fashion or the shape of a coin. So they would have these, these boxes, and they would just slam their coins into the boxes so that everybody would know what they were doing. So that would look something like this. I just want y'all to see me giving, okay? I'm breaking a sweat. This is so heavy. I just don't have a good enough effect. I just want y'all to see me giving. This is really heavy. You want to feel how heavy it is? This is very heavy. That's how hard I worked this week. I was able to give all that right there. It's overflowing because I gave so much. Now, I borrowed that jar of money from my dad, and I told him, I said, Dad, I need to borrow this for a sermon illustration. And he told me, that's fine. He just wanted it back. But as funny as that is, isn't that a sermon in and of itself? My father, my dad, loves me, and he cares about me, and he blesses me with stuff, but he just wants it back. Our father, who loves us and cares about us, blesses us with so much stuff, he blesses us with finances. He blesses us with friends. He blesses us with family. He blesses us with anything and everything that we could ever ask for or dream for. And all he asks is for some of it back. My father also gave me these pants, but he did not ask for those back because he can't button them anymore. <laughs> but when you give, not if you give, when you give, Make sure your motives are proper and your heart is in the right place. And in verses three and four, Jesus tells us how we should give. So when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
Now, apparently there is no real significance in this. It's just generally assumed that the majority of the population is right-handed. Are there any left-handed people in the room today? Three. So everybody else is right-handed except for these three odd ducks. Um, chickens. So it's, it's just generally assumed that people uh, weren't weird like these three and they were right-handed. So don't let your dominant hand know what your other hand is doing so that your giving me may be done in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So in some ways, we give so that others don't see. And in some ways, we give so that we don't see. We simply give, move on, and forget about it. So going back to these coins. I know that the tendency is to live life like this, holding on tightly to everything that we have. And trust me, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know how hard money is to come by. I know how hard it is to come by. I work outside for a living. I know what hard work is. And I know that you guys know what hard work is too. And I know that we want to live life like this, just grasping and clenching onto everything that we have. We don't want to give. But there is a problem with that. When we walk through life closed-fisted like this or closed-handed, our hands are literally closed, right? When my hand is literally closed like this, it makes it impossible to give. I cannot do anything with what is in my hand based on how tightly I'm clenched. There is nothing I can do with this except hold on as tight as I can. It's impossible to give. But it also makes it impossible to receive when our hands are closed like this. But if you just open it up, God can do so much more with an open hand When you invite God into your finances, he can do immeasurably more with what you give than what you keep. So church, can I just tell you how proud I am to be a part of a giving church? Time and time and time and time again, I've seen with my own eyes you guys step up to the plate and participate in the spiritual activity of giving. I've seen it over and over again. You guys are so generous, and you guys are so, so good at that. A true story. A few months ago, our general fund was below $1,000. We were in bad shape. We proposed moving money out of a designated fund. We proposed moving money out of the food pantry just to replenish our, our, our funds. We moved about $8,000 over just to replenish our funds. But since then, and to God be the glory, our general fund has recovered to approximately $12,000. And that is simply based off of your giving. I've seen how you guys are willing to step up and meet needs. 
We raised a ton of money during our chest of Joash giving and were able to pay for a brand new air conditioning unit just because of your giving. You guys are always willing to give to things like kids camp and, and any other mission opportunity or any other ministry need or, or whatever the case may be. If you guys know about it, you're always willing to give, always. Another true story, when we walked into this year, uh, we, we met probably in October of, of last year uh, with, with the budget team and there were probably eight of us in the room and you know, I was, I was the rain cloud, I was the dark cloud. I said, you know, group, guys, whoever, this is where we're at. This is the trajectory that we're on. This is what I see from a practical point of view. This is what I see from a practical perspective. In my opinion, we need to decrease our annual budget. Last year, it was about $370,000. I said, let's pump the brakes, let's take a couple steps back, and let's, let's shoot for $350,000. And I'll have you guys know that every single person in that room told me no. They said, absolutely not. We're going to increase our budget. We're going to operate on faith. We're going to believe that God is good. We're going to believe that God is going to take care of us. We're going to believe that God is going to provide all of these things for us. And we're willing to step up to the plate and make sure that happens by our giving. You guys are absolutely amazing at this. And I just want you to know in my young prime age how proud I am of you guys and how well you do with the spiritual act of giving. You guys do give in secret. You guys do live life open-handedly. And I'm so blessed and honored and glad to just be a small part of that. So... In closing today, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Let's keep honoring God with our giving. Let's continue to look for opportunities to give to others because we can't leave that part out. It does say give to the needy. So if you see a need, fill a need. And let's see where God takes us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to, to thank you. God, as I've already mentioned, these, these people that, that sit in this room and fill these pews, God, they are absolutely amazing, and they are spiritual giants, God, and they are generous, and they are kind, and they do live life open-handedly, God, and I just thank you for their obedience, and I thank you for their example, God, and I just pray that we would continue to do the things that you have called us to do, God. Uh, what we have seen at, at this church is, it's unparalleled, God. It's, it's, it's something that hasn't been seen. It's something that hasn't been done, and God, we know that the only reason that we are able to be successful and the only reason we are able to do the things that we're able to do is because of you, so God, I pray that you would continue to lead us and I pray that you would continue to guide us and I pray that you would continue to direct our paths and God, I pray that we would not lean on our own understanding and I pray that God, we would submit to you. God, just help us to be the people that you have called us to be. Help us to be the Christians that you have called us to be. Help us to be the church that you have called us to be, God. Help us to live 
out our salvation and confidence, but God also guard us from pride. It's all about you, God, and everything that we have, it's yours anyway. There's nothing about us or nothing from us. It's all about you, God. So as we do go our separate ways, just help us to um, live into your will. And God, if we do screw up and if we do fail, I just pray that you would forgive us. God, I pray that you would go with us now as we do go our separate ways and just bring us back at the next appointed hour. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.